So 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1 says, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. It was a little over 70 years earlier that the Philistines had captured the ark of God. But it says in 1 Samuel chapter 5, But the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. Uh, it was a coastal city along the Mediterranean where it was first brought by the Philistines. And as it sat there in Ashdod, the hand of the Lord was indeed heavy upon the people. We won't go into the details of how it was that the Lord's hand was heavy upon them, but you can say they were at that point very eager to make sure the ark of the Lord went somewhere else. And so they thought, well, let's send it to Ekron. Well, the people of Ekron wanted nothing to do with it either, knowing what had happened in Ashdod. So it came a little bit more inland, a little bit more toward Jerusalem at that point. Well, what they did was they sent it off by itself on a cart with two milk cows pulling it. According to, this is all according to 1 Samuel chapters 5 and 6. And it was at this time that the cart with the ark of God made it to Bet Shemesh. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Now since that time, of course, as I said, 70 years earlier from the time that we're studying this evening in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, although the ark of the Lord had made it back to Israel, it sat in the house of a man named Abinadab in Kiriath-Jerim. In this, it was sitting there the whole time during the reign of King Saul, all of his years. It sat there in the house of Abinadab. Now, Kiriath-Jerim, just to give you uh, an understanding of where it is geographically, we're talking about, at this point, it's made its way towards Jerusalem, where it will eventually end up. But it's about 10 miles west, northwest of Jerusalem, just 10 miles away. So now David is king of Israel, and he desires to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. But of course, as we read, before he actually goes and gets it, he consults with the leaders of the people, saying if they agreed, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let's get all Israel together, then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. You know, some commentators say that David consulted with the leaders, but not with God. But as we read that, that one verse, verse 3, we must acknowledge that David was indeed in that moment at least acknowledging God. It seemed to him like the right thing to do. And indeed, it was. 
But as it pertained to the movement of the ark of God, there was a right way to move it according to Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 15. It had already been prescribed by God how to move it. There were two poles that were slipped through, four rings on either side, and it was to be carried. So this meant that there was a wrong way to carry the ark of God. What was the wrong way? Well, any other way other than with those two poles with four men carrying the ark of God. God had also commanded that only certain people move it. Not just anyone could move it. It was only certain people. Levites, and even that was specified in the day, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. I bring this up because the leaders of the people may have encouraged David to follow through with his desire to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. But think about this. David consulted them for agreement, for approval. But David did indeed fail to consult with God on how to do it. We'll see why this was super important later as we continue on through this study of this chapter. But I want to say this. God is a God of order. Uh, he is not a God of chaos, a, the God of confusion. There, there is one who is Lord over confusion and deception and manipulation and all of those things. But God is not. God is a God of order. He had set up what to do and how to do it back in the times of Moses. We read it in Numbers and also in Exodus chapter 25. He had set up what to do and how to do it back then. And he has done the same with today since he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what I love about the Lord. You know, he's a God of order and so he sets certain things in place and he does it for our sake. He spells it out. He's spoken to us through the word. There is a way to do the right thing the wrong way. Uh, please make sure to look to yourself for any conviction on this and not be quick to point others out. Since in doing so, you may miss what God is desiring to point out in your own life. You know, sometimes we you know, use that elbow. Or we think in our minds. And yet the Lord wants us to think to ourselves. The work of sanctification is something that we need to be subjecting ourselves to on a daily, every day. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. Otherwise, that uh, the ugly head of pride is raised up and we think of ourselves more than what we should. And we look at others in a condescending way. We should not do that. Again, we know with this that as far as David is concerned, this desire to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem was a good thing, right? Wasn't it a good thing? After all, this represents the very presence of God. 
This was a good thing, and it was the right thing to do. And they all agreed to do so, all the leaders, and they agreed to gather all of the people together. And so David assembled all Israel from the Nile, chapter five, or verse 5, of Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bala, that is, to Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. So everyone was gathered. All the leaders were in agreement. There was excitement and joy in the air. It was a, a time of celebration. David was uh, in that moment, and we're going to see in chapter 15 as well, how was that he was, he was dancing before the ark. He was filled with joy. The ark of God is the very place that God promised to meet with Israel. The very presence of the Lord. And it was good that David wanted to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. To set up the place of worship there in Jerusalem. As we read this, I can't help but see how it is that David wanted to give God the best. He uh, had a new cart built. He had a couple of fellas, you know, Uzziah and uh, Uzzah and Ahio, um, to drive the cart. You know, these two guys must have been eager. They were willing. They were available. And, and they just... They were chosen by David. You guys are the ones to drive the cart, this new cart, with, with the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. Oh, it's a privilege and an honor. Here we go. Ahio led the oxen and Uzzah trailed behind to watch over the ark of the Lord. Why do we know that? Because of what happened in a few moments. The first five miles were awesome. They were indeed filled with excitement, joy, celebration. You see, they were covering some ground. They were advancing, right? They were, they were halfway. They were halfway to Jerusalem. From Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem, 10 miles. They were five miles into their journey. All seemed to be going well. It's interesting what the names of these two men mean. Ahio means friendly, and Uzzah means strength. Friendly and strength were driving the cart. It's interesting because isn't this how people are inclined to serve the Lord? To quote-unquote, build a church. The local church. But oftentimes, being friendly like the world expects the church to be, which... We should be loving, right? But not as the world defines loving. That is a, for the world, they compromise it. They, they, they describe it in this way. It's a compromising love. Compromising to sin type of a love. And is, that isn't really love 
at all. And they also expect any group of people, organization, to be strong, which the people of God should be strong in our, we should be strong in our convictions of sound doctrine based on God's word and not strong and successful according to the world's standards. And yet neglect to inquire of the Lord as to how he prescribes us to worship him. This is... Um, this is what we can do. We can, we can neglect to inquire of the Lord as far as his word is concerned. He's prescribed a way on how to worship him. Listen, God simply requires us to be faithful. That's it. Just be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. And we demonstrate our love for him. Through our obedience to his word. Not by how nice we are or how successful we are. Sometimes we confuse that. Success in the eyes of the world is, well, honestly, if, if I were to think back about 15 years, my goal would have been to continue to increase the numbers to the point to where perhaps at some point we're on the heels of harvest or sandals or one of those churches or the grove, right? Because after all, a church that is growing in numbers is considered to be a healthy church. At least that's what I kept hearing. That's success in the eyes of the world. Rest assured that after these years of being the pastor here, I can assure you that it has nothing to do with numbers. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do whether we are being faithful to the Great Commission, making disciples followers of Jesus Christ, whether or not you're maturing and growing in the Lord. That is a sign of a church that is faithful to the Lord. Listen, by all outward appearances, things seem to be going pretty good for David. Until, well, like anything else, until testing comes. Until the moment of testing or trial. Because verse 9 comes. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And so it was, about halfway to Jerusalem. 
when this happened. The whole group gets to the threshing floor of Chidon, and the oxen stumble. They didn't stumble before, it was just in that, in that place. They stumbled. Of course, Uzzah showing care for the ark of the Lord. That's why we know that Uzzah had some free hands at that point to steady the, the cart, to stick out his hand so that the ark of God would not fall. And he touched the ark. Ark simply means a box. And it's prescribed as far as the, the, the dimensions of the ark of the Lord and how it is to be made and all of that. We've already gone through that, but that's what he reached out and he touched it, just to steady it. And in that moment, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he struck him down because he put his hand out to the ark and he died there before God. Verse 10. Wait a minute. Why? Why? What? What's going on? It, perhaps did we, did we miss something? Why would God get angry with a man that was sincere in his service to God? He was sincere. Why would God strike him down? After all, the Philistines carried the ark of the Lord on a cart, wasn't it? Wasn't it the Philistines that put it on a cart and sent it off with two milk cows? So why would it be that God would, would strike down Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, the moment he reached out and touched the ark? Yes, the Philistines did do that, but they didn't know any better. Remember that God still had applied consequences to them. Remember Ashdod and Ekron. But God's people, well, they were expected to know better. They had no excuse. Think about that. Sometimes we, we try and justify so much. And yet when we know, there's really no excuse, is there? You may, may, may tell me some, something different. But remember, we're not going to answer to, in the end, we're not going to answer to each other. What's going to happen is we're going we're to go before the Lord. We're going to have to answer for ourselves. Your wife's not going to be there. Your husband's not going to be there. Your friends aren't going to be there. Nobody's going to be there. It's just you and the Lord. You're going to have to answer for yourself. Listen, God is love, and he, he was so loving that this is what he did. And this is what parents do. This is what you ought to do. Be so loving that you tell your children the truth. God is so loving that he told them the truth. He told them exactly how to carry the ark of the Lord, and he told them exactly who could carry the ark. He told them exactly what to do, how to do it. Just 
Guys, I know that we're really bad on following the instruction book, right? We, we look at a box with a bunch of stuff, and we're like, ah, I got it, right? And then we end up with a lot of spare parts. We, we didn't need them. We can't do that with the Lord. We need to go through. It, it, it's laid out for us, right? For David and this group and Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio, all they had to do is look to God's word. And they would have known exactly who could carry it and how they could carry the ark of the Lord. But listen, they were sincere. They were sincere. But they were sincerely wrong in how they did what they did. You see, sincerity or genuineness of devotion isn't enough. And this is where we need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to understand being sincere doesn't mean we're right. Being genuine doesn't mean we're right. I've known a lot of people. I mean, I have four boys myself that, uh, you know, from the time they were little, they were sincere in their opinions, but that doesn't mean they were right. We teach them what's right. Sincerity or genuineness of devotion is not enough. And this is a great example of that truth. God requires his word to be followed as he has declared it to be followed. Not how we interpret it in the moment. Hey, listen, if it doesn't align with how he does, then it's wrong. Period. There's, there's no going around that. Hey, but it was a decision made in the moment. It, it seemed right to him. At all these things we've heard. Doesn't he deserve a little grace? Well, let me, tell you, let me give it to you plain. God apparently didn't think so. Uh, apparently God didn't think so. To encourage someone in the wrong interpretation of God's word is not being a friend at all, is it? Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Did they get a second chance when they chose to lie to the Holy Spirit? These are perfect examples of warnings. The Lord, this is God's grace for you and I because honestly, how many times has God not been gracious toward us? Just today, let alone in the last couple weeks or the last couple months or this year or the last whatever number of years you've been living. Gracious over and over and over toward us. You and I both know that God is very gracious toward us every single day. And yet it seems like we're still surprised when he disciplines us or his word rebukes us or exhorts us in some way or God forbid he used someone to actually hold us accountable. Right? But that requires humility. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Sin. It's sin. For you to know the right thing to do and not do it, it's sin. It, it's applied to all of us universally. Not just for one person, but to all of us. 
Listen, God is just, therefore, he judges the guilty. Why? Because he's just. It's also interesting that this happened in the very place where the chaff is separated from the wheat. The threshing floor. What doesn't belong was dealt with in the moment by the sharp sword of the Spirit, that is, the Word of God. It came and it, it separated what was not of the Lord and what was of the Lord. Again, this is a warning against handling the Word of God lightly or misinterpreting God's Word to fit our own agenda, no matter how sincere we are. They were wrong in how, to, how they transported the ark of the Lord. They were wrong in who transported the ark of the Lord. They were wrong to think they were favored because maybe it was in their father's house for such a long time. Therefore, perhaps they could do it in whatever way they wanted to. They were wrong to disregard the sacredness of the ark of the Lord. Listen, those who are serving the Lord should be mindful of what he requires of us. Who does what and how we do what we do, it matters. Is it according to the word of God? You see, God's holiness cannot be handled in human or worldly terms. The philosophies, the philosophies of the world do not apply. It is not left to the interpretation of anyone else. This is, this is how they got in trouble. They took this and it was, it was a good thing. They were bringing the ark. But perhaps they were going with the, with the spirit of the letter of the law. But yet, God requires that of us. God has stated truth and that truth cannot be changed or redefined. If we do, it's at our own expense. God's word is to be handled with care and with accuracy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Well, when this happened, in that moment, Uzzah had someone who sympathized with him. His name, David. David, in that moment, sympathized with Uzzah. And David got angry. As we see in verse 11, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means breaking out against Uzzah. And that place is called that to this day. And in that moment, not only was David angry at God's judgment, but he's also filled with fear. And he was fearing God in that day. It says that day. He chose in that day to not bring the ark of the Lord the rest of the way to Jerusalem and instead left it in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite and it remained there for three months. Let me ask you this. If David in that moment would have simply gone to the word of God 
And then as he read, he realized that it was all done wrong. Can he, could he have in the moment slipped some poles through the four rings on the four corners and had the right people carry the ark of God to Jerusalem? The answer is yes. Absolutely. But he would have had to have considered God's word. Now, he will learn that later on. But in the moment, David chose to leave the ark of God at the house of Obed-Edom and continue on to Jerusalem by himself. He chose to regroup and try and figure out exactly what had happened. He was fearful of God's wrath, and he didn't want to progress, uh, want the wrath of God to progress to anyone else. And so he just stopped. But listen, in the moment, we also need to understand, was there something wrong with God? After all, he, he did judge, right, in the moment, just like that. Anything wrong with God? No. No. He is holy and he is righteous. In, in that moment, this was perfect, righteous indignation. There is such a thing. It was something that was completely against his word. And he acted. There's nothing wrong with God. Listen, God is not capricious. He's, in other words, he's not moody. He's not given to mood swings for no, for no reason. That's a capricious person. That, that's a person who, who, who changes, you know, from one moment to the next. You, you second guess them because I, I don't know what I'm going to get today. That's not our God. Listen, David should have been aware of his own sin, his own compromise, because it cost the life of Uzzah. When David did not insist on this being done correctly according to God's word, in that moment, he, he was just excited about getting the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. You see, God was gracious and he was merciful for five miles. For five miles, he was gracious and he was merciful. In those five miles, there was no one who told them that they were doing something outside of God's word. Maybe they should have realized that they were doing things wrong, contrary to God's word, but no one did, or at least no one said anything if they did know they were transporting the ark of the Lord wrong. You see, how David got the ark to Jerusalem mattered. Have you ever seen churches use any means necessary to see people get saved? Remember, there was a church, hearing about this, there was a church that was raffling, and get this, um, and this was years ago, I haven't heard of it again, or else I'll be going to that church, because they were raffling a Harley Davidson. And so, you know, maybe we can buy some tickets and, and get, get a Harley Davidson. You never know. Chances could be good. No? They were literally raffling off a Harley Davidson uh, to, to attract people to come out. 
Um, there's other means, and we've all been exposed to some of these things that some churches do, right? To all attract people to come out using any means necessary, as they say, to see people get saved or make professions of faith or just get to church, right? Even compromising in music, events, associations, and the like to, quote-unquote, make good things happen. Listen, God's holiness cannot be handled in human or worldly terms. We're all going to have to give an account. The way I see Scripture multiplying the saints is, number one, it's not my job to add to the church. Guess who does that? It's God. What are we to do? Simply be faithful to the fellowship of the saints, to prayer, and to doing what we're doing right now. That's it. Quite simple. And if you have a problem with something that has to do with that, then I say take it up with the Lord. Right? But here we're, we, we actually we fight against doing anything that is in our own strength, or in the friendliness of the world in order to attract those to come in. Listen, when people, when people do come in, and they, they have been coming in, you guys know, on a weekly basis, the Lord keeps adding to the church. And I hear time and time again the same report. They see the love of Christ amongst you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By the pamphlets that you give out and the beauty of them and the graphics and how wonderful they are. No? By the Harley Davidson that we're raffling? We are. The petting zoo that, that we have? No, it's, it's none of those things. Not that some of those things aren't, aren't, something that, aren't things that we can't do. You know, there, there are things to where we, we can pour into the community and, uh, and see people come to the salvation uh, known only in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you that by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, no matter where we are, but especially as they come in here, by the love that you have for one another. And I hear that consistently over and over and over again. Guard that, will you? Guard that. Because that honors the Lord. That honors the Lord. And it shows them that you belong to Him. And that is attractive. That stirs them up. They want to know more about the Lord. And I can tell you that people just in the last couple weeks have made recommitments, have come to the Lord. It's been truly remarkable what the Lord does in spite of us. Right? Right? what he does uh, to glorify himself if we just but remain faithful to him in those things that he has called us to. You see, the, the fellowship of the saints is actually simple. We, we keep it simple. We are faithful to what the Lord's called us to. And the Lord in the midst of that does this wonderful work. Well, David had the ark of the Lord taken to Obed-Edom's home. And guess what? Obed-Edom was a Levite. 
And the Lord blessed his home and all that he had. In fact, um, we're going to learn in two chapters from this one. In chapter 15, that Obed-Edom actually is assigned to being one of the gatekeepers. And so he was a man who, he's, he's noted as a Gittite, but he was a man who perhaps was in that, that place, and this is what's believed it was in that place, but he was a, uh, a person out of place. He was at some point, according to chapter 15, he will be one of the gatekeepers, and we'll see that coming up. Well, David will find the answer to the matter in God's word. He will. And I imagine him coming as he's going through the law, coming across Numbers 4.15 and Exodus 25, verses 10 through 15, and realize the wrong he did. Because we'll see a different handling of the ark in chapter 15. It is a notable difference. David acknowledged the word of God and its details. Again, as I stated earlier, this is a warning against handling the word of God lightly or misinterpreting God's word to fit our own agenda, no matter how sincere we are. They were wrong in many ways. In how they transported the ark, who transported the ark. They were wrong, perhaps, in their thinking of how it was that maybe God was giving them favor because of who they were. They were, after all, the sons of Abinadab. And they were wrong to disregard the sacredness of the ark of the Lord. And those who are serving the Lord should be mindful of what he requires of us. Anyone and all of us. For we are the children of God who are serving him. We should be mindful of what he requires of us, who does what and how we do what we do matters. Because God's holiness cannot be handled in human or worldly terms. It is not left to the interpretation of anyone else. And that's why we need to be students of the word. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, and I say it again, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. God's word is to be handled with care and accuracy. What I love about this as we go through and and we're just giving this stern given we've been given the stern warning right understanding this is exactly what happened in the moment right when they let their guard down and they did things in in this manner and God responded in this way the story doesn't end there that's that's what I, I love about the Lord talk about his his grace and his mercy how it is that he is faithful. He continues on because as we'll see, David continues. We'll see how it is that his, his reign as king of Israel is actually further established. As the Lord stirs the hearts of others to build him a house. And how it is that we will see the Israelites have victory over the Philistines not once, but twice. Even after this happened, that we just went through. Even after. Think about that. Think about that. Let us be humble before the Lord. Repent and continue, continue to move forward, just as David did. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that 
Even as we read this chapter and we have just studied it, Father, I pray that you would remind us, Lord, of those things that are required of us. Lord, indeed, for the child of God who knows the word, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. Much is expected. You tell us in your word to be students of your word, to know your word that we would know how to glorify you. Even as Mandy led us in that song about abiding in Christ, we wouldn't know how to abide in Christ if we were ignorant of the word. We wouldn't know what would bless you unless we read your word. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would sharpen our discernment as we as we apply your word, knowing how to do so in various situations, and Lord, that as we do that, we would bless you by walking in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit would not only bless and honor you, but it would bless others. And so, Father, I thank you for this time. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.